So Baruch Hashem, we are traveling through Shar Bitochen, and the goal of today's class will be to finish the fifth chapter, as we began last week. The Rabbeinu Bachaye here is trying to give an example, which he gives from the pursuit of making a parnasa, in which externally, obviously in moderation, the one who has bitachin and the one that doesn't yet have bitachin externally will be doing the same thing because we're learning the sefer called Cheves Halavavis. We're speaking about the duties of the heart. This is not about changing your behavior, but this is about how one feels about one's behavior while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. You can have two people working externally the same, and yet where will we find the difference the inner difference between the boiteach and the one that's not boiteach, so he is going through seven. The one who has bitachin in Hashem. So last week we covered how one understands the results, how one feels about the outcome. About the third point was that a person with bitachin really understands that the Kaylee is only the Kaylee. So it's a different relationship with the medium that that person at that time in their lives is using to make the living. And we are on page 211. I'm going to make a synopsis because it's very long and, and it's gavaldic. It's beautiful. And let's do this slowly. So the fourth difference will be the generosity of one's heart. Again, it's generosity of one's heart because just to acknowledge that there are many people that are very generous indeed. They give a lot of tzedakah and you have no idea what an accomplishment it was for him or for her because innerly it's a stingy person. So it's all about the feeling. And by the way, there's something beautiful to that. When a person inside is not ready to do something good, which is a mitzvah, and they do it nonetheless. There's a beauty to that, but we're not focusing on that. We're trying to come to a place where being generous is something easy, having that good midah. So he writes Kavaldik, he says that a person, and it makes so much sense, people that don't yet have enough bitachin in God, we're speaking here in the world of parnasa, and everyone needs parnasa. There are needs that we need more. To make that clear, he uses this as an example. You know, they say that there was a person that had a business and the business was mamish, going bankrupt. Not good. And the person goes to shul and they're davening from the bottom of their heart. God, help me with, uh, send me one client. And when they're going home, it was winter and they walked over the lake instead of around the lake. And the lake, the ice cracked and they fall into the water and they're drowning. What do you think the person is davening then for? To say, and if someone were to show, hey, by the way, we found you a client, he wouldn't even care about it. Okay, I just want to make it clear. In other words, there's different. Uh, I like this topic. This topic is a need, but it's not the innermost, deepest need, which there also we have to have vitachim. Right? Just to make that clear. Right? And when the person is drowning and they're davening under the water from the bottom of the heart, God save me. Is it from the bottom of their heart? Is there another need that can supervent, that can that can overweigh this need? Absolutely. What will be even more important for a person at that time? If at the same time one's children are drowning, mm. and they won't care, they mamish, they won't care. They'll, they'll they'll give up their lives to save their kids. Mm-hmm. Just to say that there's different, um, there's different parts of life. And it's good to know what is more important than the other. And there's a wisdom. He doesn't want to speak about the deepest need because it becomes like maybe even harder to achieve right away. Making a living, making a living when you're healthy, you're not drowning, making a living is a need. People that have more bitachin will naturally be more generous people. It makes so much sense. It makes sense in the mind. We have to get there. In other words, some people, again, some people are given the gift of being generous which is amazing, which is mamush gavaldik. Some people are, you know, are born um, being selfish. Everyone is born selfish to a certain degree. Some people are born selfish when it comes to their things, they cannot give it up. 
the more we live in the world where God is my provider and not I'm my provider or not my business is my provider or not the economy is my provider, Hashem is my provider, naturally the easier it will be for people to have a midah of being generous. Great. Does that make sense? The fifth, the fifth difference between one who has bitachin and one who doesn't yet have bitachin. And this is something that happens very often. When the keli, when the means through which Hashem will provide my bitachin right now, my keli, my business, goes into conflict with any mitzvah on any level. Whether it is, you know, the big ones, as it used to be in America in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, where not working on Shabbos was not accepted. You want a job, you got to work on Shabbos. And that 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 amazing generation, Moedidik of our grandparents, my grandparents, that they had to have Mesiris Nefesh, Mamish people, worked hardworking people, and they would tell you Friday, if you're not coming in on Shabbos, don't bother to come in on Monday. So I'm not even talking about on that level. Um... I think there, to a certain degree, it's easier to make your choice because it's like very black and white. Am I going to keep Shabbos or God forbid not? And if it's not pikuach nefesh, I'm going to keep Shabbos. At least no one should be tested, but that's at least what we have in our minds. But there are many nuances where one has to cut corners, at least looking at things through human eyes in order to get ahead. Cutting corners is not that I have to break a law of the Torah, but I have to lower my standard. That's something that happens very often. Very often. And the more a person is living with the MS that God is my provider, and the means of my livelihood is only a channel. It's only a channel, and whether it is the machine, whether it is the person, all of it. It's going to be so easy when one will be tested and one will always be tested in this area to choose what God wants versus what appears to be to be the better way of getting ahead. Which is amazing because that's a big nesayin for most people. You know, we're coming towards, we're, we're entering the month of December. Every year, the same question Many people, Baruch Hashem, that they should be grateful to God, that they have a keli, which is a gift from a God also. And then it comes to the end of the year and you have these gatherings, these parties connected to Christmas and stuff like that. You know, many people are conflicted what to do. And you should know that, in, again, when it's black and white, many people ask a rabbi what to do. And the rabbi's job is not to give a standard above the letter of the law. The rabbi has to look, you know, black and white. I, I want to give an example by me. I, when, when Steri and I moved here, so we had a we had a store in Beverly Hills on right over for Deo Drive, and it was a retail store, and and the Parnassa is really Shabbos, Mamish. During the week, if you broke even, you were good, and it was very difficult, you know. And I remember, and you know, there's something called the Heter Mechira Shabbos. It, it, it's a medium through which you really alpi halachic can keep your business open on Shabbos. It makes a lot of sense theoretically. What you basically do is, is you sell your business to a guy fully, not just for Shabbos. And let's say, and it has to be a real document that is made today. Mm-hmm. You estimate that your business is worth $100,000, it doesn't matter, a million dollars, doesn't matter the number. It has to be in the realm of Emmis. It has to be in the realm that if that person would give you that money, you would walk away from it. You don't have to put a thousand fold. You put more or less a good value for your business. You have to find a guy who understands what they're doing. It's not a gimmick. It makes a lot of sense. You sell your business to the guy, and the guy gives you a $10 down payment. And then you write in the document that that person owes you the rest of the money until when they pay you, you, the old owner, will manage the business, and you get to do with the business anything you want. And they have no right to tell you what you should do with the profits. They also will not be responsible for the losses during the time. And if they don't pay you up until a certain date, the full value, then it goes back to you. And that's that's a, just a generally, it makes a lot of sense. So you sell the business. It's actually belonging to a guy. You're the manager. And of course, you never have the right to work on Shabbos. 
ever. But like this, if you have a non-Jewish worker, if you're the owner, you can't keep it open on Shabbos. But if the owner is a non-Jew and you are not involved in Shabbos, they're working for the MSA owner. This is just a, a good example. What do, they, what do they benefit? Do they have to have a benefit? And can they buy well, it at any time and save here's the rest of the money? Absolutely, absolutely. What do they benefit normally? You do it with someone that you know and, and you give them fifty dollars. It takes the whole thing takes five minutes. But the ikir is is that they have to understand what they're undertaking and they have to trust you. What happens is when they understand it, they get they get they get nervous. They're afraid one second, I'm buying something worth a million dollars, I don't have the million dollars. Like don't come after me. So there is a certain trust element. And normally it happens with people that work for you that have seichel. They see how Shabbos is, like Tony by us. He understands Shabbos, we don't turn on a light. There's enough trust. We're not going to trick him into anything, but he really owns it. And you have a few, I know that Rabbi Tauber, who's a big expert in this here in LA, he says that the mikvah lady by Labrea is worth up a billion dollars or more. She, she owes the billion dollars, but, but she owns many businesses. So this is a, a medium. And I was very much uh, going in that direction. Like, Pasha, to make a living, to pay to pay your bills. But how does it help if you're not getting the money from Shabbos? Short help. Sure you money? are. Because, listen, Yafa, what you're doing is, is that, again, a guy buys the business, they give you a minimal down payment, mm-hmm. they give you $10, and they owe you the rest. They're not planning to pay you the rest, so the contract stipulates that until when they pay the rest of the money, you, the manager, you get to manage it and you get to keep all the profits mm-hmm. because you were the old owner. Mm-hmm. So instead of them, like, what are you getting out of it? You're selling your business for $10? No, you're selling your business at least until when they pay you. Mm-hmm. You have the right to do with the money whatever you want. Mm-hmm. That's what you benefit. So if the store is closed on Shabbos, it's bringing in $5,000 a month. These retail stores, you keep them open on Shabbos, it brings in $20,000 a month. Mamish. And all of a sudden, you have pranos. By the letter of the law, there's nothing wrong with it. You have to make sure that you're right on the window. It's under new ownership. People should know. <laughs> okay, and people do that. Remember, I, I turn to, I'll give him the credit to a Rabbi Morty Weiss, who's a big scholar, the one of the shluchim here in, in North, whatever, what's called it. It's a neighborhood in the valley. Told me, you can do it. He says, don't do it. As a chassid, don't do it. He says, why, 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 why would you do it? It's because you want to make a problem. Why would you? People see you. They see that you're in the store. It's a loophole. Don't do a loophole. That's exactly where this bitachin. You have to have bitachin. The more Yid has bitachin, and I'm very, I'm very happy. He asked me, he asked, he asked me whether my father did it. My father had a very successful business, shmata business. My father never had his machines working on Shabbos and and not him, and not my uncle, and they would have made a lot more money. They didn't do it. They also knew how to do these things. So it's simple. You, Shabbos, you close everything down. That's a marshal. And, and it, I, for me, it was relatively easy because I had a, my father as my role model. But I'm saying, a yidu, as real bitachin, it becomes easier. And without bitachin, especially if you're figuring out a way, I don't know, against the, you're not going against black and white, people can always find there's so much gray area in halacha in where when you have bitachin, you're, you're going to keep a higher standard. And so many, so many other examples of that. And we're going to focus the most on six, number six today, which is beautiful. And he writes like this. He writes that when when we interact with others, what can I tell you? Everyone at a certain age becomes more and more aware of it. When you interact with another person, there's something inside of you that will either make you feel comfortable with that person or tell you, beware, your radar goes up. Mm-hmm. And some of that is not that tangible. Some of it is. We're speaking about what's not. He writes like this. He writes that, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago. When I have real bitachin in God, when you have real bitachin in God, which means that you understand that the only power in your life over you is Hashem. No one else has the power not to hurt you, not to help you. They can be God's shliach to do something that you like or dislike, but it's God's doing. You won't be afraid of other people, and you're not going to need to seek their favor because they have no power to do you favor. 
and the less afraid I am of you, and the less I am on any level trying to be chayn of you, I'm trying to, um, how do you say, be overly nice to you because I have an agenda, I'll be nice to you, for you to be nice to me, the less I interact with you that way, the more you're going to trust me. The more the connection will be genuine. I'm not interacting with you or trying to be nice to you because I'm afraid of you. I'm not interacting with you because I have an agenda. Stam, I'm connecting with you, stam. That's the most beautiful way that people connect with each other. And and and, and you'll, you'll push it, you'll have a healthier group of chaveinim. And in reverse, people who lack bitachen, so they give a lot of power wrongfully to other human beings. You have the ability to help me. You have the ability to hurt me. So there is this fear factor, avoiding pain or trying to seek favor from you, not from God, which is sheker, but you're going to feel that I have an agenda with you. I can do you the biggest favor in the world and on the one level you'll know that really, really, I didn't do it for you. It's fake. I did it for me. And therefore, the type of friendship that such a person theoretically could have had with others, that person will not find it. How great is that? Because the only place of power is with God. So, Taka, with God, you're doing your all, all your negotiating. Which doesn't mean it's such a great thing, because ideally it would have been to have a relationship with God also not to avoid God's wrath and not to see God's favor, but that's something else. But between Adam, Ben Adam Lachaveri, a yid that has more bitachin, will have real friendships with other people. And also, other people will trust you more. A yid with bitachin is a trustworthy person. A person who's living with God the whole time, you know, it says in the Mishnah, if you have to go for a journey, and in those days, going to a journey meant you're going through a desert, you're going over to sea, with people, and you are vulnerable at that time. Go with a believer, even with someone who Nebach believes in idols, and don't go with an atheist. Mm-hmm. No, it's a person that has God in their lives is a more trustworthy person. There's exceptions. Of course, a person can believe in God and do terrible things. But a person who doesn't believe in God, they're even more dangerous, because they're, they're not responsible to anyone. If no one is watching, then there's no one. Hefker, Hefkerwelt, as the Rebbe so much spoke about the bigger solution to crime, not the little solution. The bigger solution to crime is educating people about God, that there is an eye that sees and there is an ear that hears. And even with our children, it has such a healthy effect in the long run on people that we don't appreciate it enough. It just takes many, many, many years. And when the Western world, the not good part yet of the Western world, which was a world in which we took God out of society, the ultimate result is is that one will swallow up the other. Terrible crime. Terrible crime, which would never exist in societies where God was spoken about, God was thought about, God was educated. So both, you'll be more trusted, and you'll be able to friend others, which is which is great. Think about that. Look, look at that angle. People with more betachen attract to them and are attracted to people in which you can create a more genuine friendship. And people without bitachin, the less bitachin, you have to rely on something. So you're relying always on your fellow. So every interaction that you have with your fellow is not truthful. Your kindness is not real kindness. It's self-kindness. Or, since you can hurt me, don't hurt me. You pay the mafia guy money, you're not doing it for him not to go and kill you. You're not genuinely favoring him. It's all based either on fear or on self-love. That's what they call the agenda. That's the agenda. I have a question. Yes. How come Yaakov had that whole plan when he came to meet his brother? And he gifts and he, you know, Okay, so we spoke about this before. It doesn't hurt to speak about it again. That pre-anything, we are responsible to act, to do what we could within our power. And 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 by the laws of nature, when you give some, when you bribe someone with a gift, especially if the whole issue that he had externally was he felt Yaakov took something of value from him, and what Esav gave value to was to the tangible. Like he took the blessings. Now he didn't care that much about the world to come. He cared about this world. So if you feel that I wronged you by taking away your money, here, let me give you money. So did he believe that Esau had power? 
heaven or heaven? He believed that because he's not perfect himself, if God were to judge him through a very severe way, he would not find, he would not appear just in the eyes of God. <coughs> and Esav would be a perfect medium through whom God can bring punishment to Yaakov. And he was humbled that way by acknowledging that he's not perfect. And God doesn't owe it to me to always judge me favorably. When the Rebbe spoke about our generation being worthy of the redemption, there's a very big difference when we're speaking about us as a group. And the Rebbe educated us that we should look at us as a group as meritus, meritorious. After all these years of Golos, that the Jewish people are tzaddikim. But not that I'm the tzaddik, because I'm not a tzaddik. Yaakov was looking at himself. And Yaakov felt that he was vulnerable. Now, there's many levels to it. On one level, I'm not saying my own, that some are of the opinion that Yaakov's fear of Esau was, was not ideal. It was a failing, very easy for us to say. Failing in his betachim. Failing in his betachim. Yeah, these are not my words. But it's not something that the Chabad Hasidus doesn't spend many words speaking about the failings of the great tzaddikim. We speak about our own failings to a certain degree. Or we even try to find an angle where no, it was perfect. Yeah. Yaakov Avinu was a perfect tzaddik, and but just to know, normally the, the fear is only of God, and he could have been, he could have been a, a tool of God to hurt him. Or trigger. Maybe he felt like he he was vulnerable to the trigger of Esau. So... He was vulnerable to God, and Esau could be God's way of going and getting him, exacting punishment through Esau. And he has to do the responsible thing. The responsible thing is just to calm Esau down. Which he did. And is that considered part of tshuva? His tshuva was the prayer that he did. The giving gifts to Esau was making the hishtadlut. It was again acting responsibly. Even though that's the whole paradox. Even though the result is completely in the hands of God, but <coughs> God gave me a mitzvah to do to work with the laws of nature. With the laws of nature, if someone is coming to attack you, try to bribe him and get ready for war. And Davin, and he did all three. And Jews always did that. In other words, they Davin, of course they Davin, but at the same time, they, they try to work they tried to find favor. But coming back in the world of Bitochen, in that moment of Bitochen, you're really trying to find favor in the, eyes, in the eyes of God. Definitely more than anything else. And automatically it makes it makes the others trust you more. And I think that's the way it is. When people come over to you, if they have an agenda, something within you says, be careful. Even if they're nice to you. And a, a yid with betachin will not have an agenda with you. His agenda is with God, not with you. With you, he still wants to talk to you, wants to connect to you. And it's only between Jews and Jews? or any other No, between Jews and anyone. People have only that amount of energy. People have only that amount of time. We are limited beings. And there's only that much that you can be concerned about. Which is quite amazing. Like the story we shared before, a person was concerned that they lost their, their business is going bankrupt. If that person is drowning, at that time, they're not even worried about both. Because you only have that much space. So if I'm going to use my worry muscle, I might as well use it for that which is more important. I don't want to drown. At that moment, you don't care about that which is less important. And therefore, the seventh and the final, which is Gavaldic, is that people that have more bitachin will end up focusing a lot more time on what they are needed for and much less time of what they need. Because the more I rely on God, like a child, he's going to speak about this later. You should know that a child, I'm talking about an infant child, they mamish don't worry. They have bitachin, the first, that the mother will be there when they get hungry again. They have no worry. 
that's a nature that God put in children, at least healthy children. I'm not saying that, God forbid, there could be a child that's one month that's already all stressed out. I don't know, it could be that shy. It could be it's a product of our generation. But there's a natural bitachin. He's a more a Jew has bitachin, that God, God, God has me. God really has me. So I'm freed up. Now, I have to worry about something. At fart, I'm a human being. Yeah, I'll worry about what I'm needed for. What's my purpose? You'll have more time to deal with that. And this shift in what do I need versus what I'm needed for, you know, if you want to speak about the Western culture of the pursuit of happiness, that will make a difference whether you'll be a happy person or whether you won't. At least whether your happiness will come to you easily. Because when a person is focused on what they need, they will never be happy. It's just the way God made it. Even when your need is met, you won't even be happy because right away you have another need because that's the way God made us. We have constant needs. It's a never-ending cascade of needs. And when a person is living in the world of what I'm needed for, just knowing that you're needed for something, just knowing that, it makes you happy. Stop just knowing. Even if you're not doing anything about it yet. God has a need for me. That your chaveden have a need for you. That your family, you are needed. That's such healthy self-worth. And purpose. You know, Yaakov Avinu. Think about Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov, you know, we have we have three patriarchs. We have 12 tribes. Why don't we have 15 patriarchs? Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Reuven, Shimon, Levi. Because, because each one of us have the power from Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, which are very different. Not every one of us has the power from all the tribes. You only have the Kayach of your tribe leader. So let's speak about the patriarchs, and I want to speak about Yaakov. What did Yaakov bring to the world more than Avraham and Yitzchak? What was his contribution? Huh? So that's one way of wording it. But when you read the parsha of the week, Avraham and Yitzchak, they inspire us how to be a good Jew when you are in a holy environment. As was Avraham. Even though temporarily he went to Mitzrayim, which was a test for him, but his main life as our patriarch was only in the Holy Land. Yitzchak never even left the Holy Land. Yaakov's main story, beginning with this week, is that Vayetze Yaakov, Yaakov left the Holy Land and he went into Choron. He left the holiest of environments and he went down there into the dark world. And Yaakov is our father that inspires us to be able to do work in a dark world. Now, why would he, why would he leave the Holy Land? Now, we all know the literal story because Asaph was going to kill him. But let me ask you a simple question. If you are a mother and you have two kids, God forbid, and one is wanting to kill the other, which one would you send away? I mean, even look at Avram. Avram Avinu had Yishmael, had a Yitzchak. Yishmael was a no-good nick for a certain amount of time. Yishmael, by the way, was trying to kill Yitzchak. Same story, Mamish. When Sarah saw that, Sarah said, you know, everything has a limit. Unconditional love, but Yishmael was trying to kill Yitzchak. So she told Avram Avinu, no, that's it. He has to go. Why didn't you send Yitzchak away? That's, a, that's not even a question. If one is a potential murderer, and one is a tzaddik, who's doing the wrong? Yishmael. Yishmael should be kicked out. So let me ask you, so why did they kick out uh, Yaakov? Um, Right last week. There was also like the element of um, Esau being more outward and and, um, You're giving me another? You're making my question worse. No, exactly. (laughs) Since that was his nature, maybe he was meant to pick up more of Esau's talent of going out, and he did leave his holy place, but then he was always like a step, like still inside his shell, and he could have maybe been more in the field. Okay, very nice. The Altarebbe words the story that, that no, they could not have been under the same roof because Esau wanted to kill him. Yaakov chose to be the one to go. And actually, Yaakov is the one that inspires us to make that choice, and that's a very big choice to make. 
in other words, when you have an option to live in a place of Kedusha, but there you are mainly receiving the benefits of the place. You're not contributing there. Or you can go to another place where there isn't Kedusha yet, and you're the man, you're the woman. Where would you choose to go? That was Yaakov's choice. And that such a choice is only made when a person is oriented to think less about what I need and to think more about what I'm needed for. And there was no doubt that Chanan needed Yaakov a lot more than Yaakov needed to be another year, Nachamal, with his parents, who he had the merit to be for so many years, who he already absorbed their Kedushan. So let me say something very important, and, and this is not going off topic. This is something that we have to have clarity in. So, right, we read in the we read in the in the Kiddush Friday night, by Yehulu Hashemayim v'Haaretz Asher Bara Elikim Lasois, the world that God created, Lasot, the world that God created to do. It mamish doesn't flow. So Rashi says not Lasois letaken. The world that God created, not perfect, for us to perfect. Right? Tikkun olam. Let me ask you a question. If someone were to tell you, yeah, my mission is to fix the world, what do you mean by that? Give me an example of you fixing the world. Feeding the hungry. Feeding the hungry. The homeless. Feeding the homeless. Not giving into your animal souls. Collecting yourself. Every example that you guys gave so far is all about fixing the person. Just fine. I get it that we're part of the world. Person, the object, or fixing me because I'm giving the food to the homeless. You're doing both, but you're helping a person and you're fixing a person. What about the world? Well, everybody will be full and and fixed. The world going to be fixed, no? What's broken in the world that needs fixing? People. Okay. Us. I agree. So I'm saying that that the examples that come to mind is all connected to the brokenness of men. And therefore, I'm asking, let me word it in a question. Why don't we say tikkun adam? Why are we speaking about tikkun olam? Isn't the world beautiful? What's, what's wrong? What's broken in the world that needs fixing? Mashiach. How will Mashiach fix the world? If you're going to give me, so people, the examples that people think, oh, there won't be war. Okay, war is coming from an unhealthy wiring from people. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. We all know how evil people can be, but what about nature? Well, bread is an example that comes to mind. That if you know it doesn't grow, you have to. Fix so let me. Okay, good, good. In other words, it's important to get that 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 when you speak about Yaakov going out there, Al Pikabala, Yaakov was not going there to fix Lavan. It was the real Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam is not to fix people; it's to fix the world. And let me just give you a way that that Chabad Hasidus words it. Now, this whole shmuz is really practically going to be lived by people with bitachim. People that have less bitachim will be spending more time worrying about what they need because it's either God is worrying about me, and if not, I'm on my own. Like, people with less bitachim, they're, they're consumed with self, which is natural, but not yet ideal. When you are consumed with self, you don't have enough time to go on these... Hasidic thoughts, which we will go on. No, if God is really providing for me, now all of a sudden I have a lot of free time. Okay, my needs are covered by God. I'm going to make my ishtadlis, but I'm good. So now what? Now, okay, what? Why? What am I needed for? So look, look at look at the way the Alter Rebbe words it. Let's go to Yaakov because this story of this parsha is much bigger than just this parsha. The first thing that Yaakov Avinu did is that he took stones and he gathered it and he put it under his head. And the way Rashi brings the medrash that when he, before he went to sleep it says vayikach ma'avnei hamakom he took from the stones in plural and then when he woke up in the morning it says he took the evan that he put under his head was it stones or was it a stone so the words that we are taught in cheder or in beis yaakov beis rivka or beis chana beis rabbi they know that when he before he went to sleep many stones and he put it around his head under his head and then each stone began to fight with the other I want to be the stone under the tzaddik. So their solution was, is that they became one stone. He went to sleep with many stones and he woke up with one stone. The Sefer Yetzirah, which is the oldest book that we have as a people. There is a book that was that, that we have from other Mauritian called Sefer Rozi al-Hamalach. 
Right away, just for curiosity, you should buy it and see that book. It's a book filled with symbols and stuff. It's like a mystical. But that's from Adam. From Ayid, Sefer Yitzir is our oldest Sefer. And no doubt that the beginning of it was written by Avram Avinu. And, and he says, beautiful, he says that stones are referring to letters. And just like to build a house, you need to put many stones together to build a word, a sentence, a paragraph, a chapter, you have to put many letters together. Let me let me give you the muscle that the Alter Rebbe gives to explain it. When people are trying to connect to each other, you want to share what we are basically trying to do, at least on a simple level, is, is that you're trying to share either a, an idea or a feeling. Because we could divide the person, not the outer person, not the body, the inner person to ideas and feelings. And when we are communicating, we are trying to communicate an idea or a feeling. How do we communicate ideas or feelings? By using words. Now think about this miracle. A word, what's a word? It's just a sound. Or think about a written word, just a certain design. And yet, when you put certain letters together in a certain way, they are able to contain in them something much greater than them, which is ideas or feelings. And when a person communicates these ideas or feelings in a language, if you understand the language, if you understand the language, it's amazing. Even though I'm just making sounds, you're not going to just get the sounds. You won't even notice the sounds. You're going to hop a big idea. Like you don't even have special letters and words for bigger ideas. The same 22 letters of the olive base. And if someone is a big chacham and they are able to properly articulate that idea in words or if someone has a tremendous capacity of feeling and they know how to in, invest that in in words, using the same 22 letters, same building blocks, but if it's organized in a certain way, you can put in it, it can carry a gewaldica feeling. Right? You can have a person that's very happy and you can make a few sounds and that person will begin to cry. Or the opposite, a person who's in a very bad mood, if you are articulate, you can communicate something and it's mamash, it's like your, your, the, the feelings, the ideas, it's like the neshama. Words are just words. And yet, something very low is able to contain in it something very lofty. Something very limited can contain in it something very unlimited. We have to acknowledge that. Now, you're the big chacham, and you have this big idea, and you're very articulate, and you're speaking it, or you're writing it, and you're writing it in a way that even a simple person can grasp it. Great. But you're speaking in English. Speak to someone that doesn't understand the language. What are they getting? Nothing. Almost nothing. Certainly not what is invested in those letters and words. That person is just getting the letters and words without understanding what they mean. Says the Alter Rebbe as a mushroom. How do we define the higher world, the lower world, a world of light, a world of darkness? We use this as a great metaphor. God is communicating. Let's use this same concept. What is God communicating? God is communicating his ideas and his feelings to us. What is God using to communicate? Well, you can say God is using his words. Where are God's words? Before the Torah. The world. Creation, mamish, is God's, God spoke the, wor- the world into being. Look at it that way. Look at, understand that when you look out there, right now when you see the house and the tree and the car and the, whatever you're seeing is God's words to you, to you. Do you understand what God is trying to tell you? I don't. <laughs> Just understand, the way Hasidus defines a dark world is not is not because people are doing bad things. That's terrible. That's a consequence of us living in a, in a dark world that we actually have the ability and we sometimes choose to do something very bad. But let's go before that. 
it's like God is speaking in the holy tongue and we don't understand it. When you live in that world, you're living in a dark world. Because then all you see are the letters, but you don't understand what the letters are trying to convey. That's a great muscle. And the rectification, and let me go even, I'll peak Kabbalah, there's another step. In other words, in the higher worlds, it's not only that the world is not so gashmiistic, that the who cares? Neither are you. No, it's, it, 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 this world we have a body, so the world is physical. In another world we have a, a more ruchniyazdik, a being. But in the higher worlds, you understand what's being communicated to you. All of creation are God's worlds, words in every in every world. You understand the message. Now the Altareb adds another nuance that imagine that if you live in a reality that you not only that you don't understand the language, but the speaker wrote all of the words. And some Chachem took all of the letters and they scrambled it. And they just gave you a bunch of scrambled letters. That's this world. That's the, really the marshal of this world. That's how far the message of God, the idea of God, the feelings of God, they're so hidden from it being conveyed through reality because Aleph, you lost the language, and Beis, it's farmished. Disorganized. And therefore, how do you rectify all that? You rectify all that first by putting it in the right order. Whoever invented the game Scrabble, I think, it's called Scrabble, did something very mystical. Because Scrabble is the Oilam Haza. You get a bunch of letters and you have to make order to it in order for it to have a meaning. And without it, it's just stones making many stones into one stone is what we do when we take many letters and you put it together in a word and the word has one meaning a word is not a composite of three letters no no echad means echad it's not just aleph chesdalet it's like a whole new thing all of a sudden you don't even care about the echad you you have the idea behind echad and it's not just about one word same thing with a paragraph or with a sentence or with a chapter or with a book like there's a message the letters are only tools to be used to convey it. They're not something chasha for themselves like we're learning over here. Our avoid of tikkun oilam is to make, is to organize the world in a way that God never organized, which will first of all put out the sequence correct, and then to begin to understand the language. Two steps in the tikkun oilam. I'll, I'll give an example. Why, why do why do people one of the one of the ways that we know now that we're gonna have real refuah to a person is that we discover the sequence of one's DNA, and every now and then there's something that's not healthy, and when you when you reorder it, when you when you fill in the missing something, you bring a, on a very deep level of refuah to a person. That's exactly what the, what what Kabbalah speaks about. That's the real tikkun olam. God made the world. This world, people were never going to live forever. Forever, we're going to make this world for people to live forever. That's really changing the world, not human behavior. That also. How are we going to? We're going to change something. We're going to figure out how to reorder. We're not going to make anything new. We're just going to change the sequence of something. When you get the sequence corrected, oh, now you already have. Uh, now it's connected to God. That's our mission the whole time. I'm getting to something. You're going to explain the two steps. You said there were two steps. First step is is that there's something out of order. There's a there's a bilbul. Bidur means there's a disorder in the letters of creation. That means in nature proper there's a disorder. The reason why the lion is eating up the lamb is not oh that's the way it is in nature. No 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 no. Something is off. Something is off in everything in this world. And that's the reason why there's illness and why there's death. That's the reason why things don't go the way they will be going in the future. A perfect world is a world in which everything is functioning. Everything is healthy. And to do that, we have to change the sequence. We have to organize the sequence, scrabble. The way we get ready for that, and the biggest tool that God gave us is the, is the physical mitzvahs. 
The physical mitzvahs is at least God revealed in, in essence why this was created. And we have to take, like, take the four species. We're doing a lot more than we think. These four plans are, were meant to be together. They were not created together. You're taking different things of the world and you're putting it together. And this, now you have a message. Now you're reorganized and you have to hear the message. So we have in the Torah the message of it on many levels. I'm sure there's even more levels that Mashiach will reveal. What did, what did the uniting of these four species mean? And that goes to every mitzvah. Or in the opposite, that which we are not meant to do is because that will perpetuate. It's going to give continuity to a disorder. Chazid was never meant to be put together in the same sentence as a Jew. It's very damaging to us as Eden. So we can't eat it. It's the Torah is ultimately the, the code that sets things in motion. But, but there's, there's many layers to it. The most simple one is Kapshutai. But then it goes layer beyond layer behind it. The Tikkun Oilam is, is that things are out of order. Now, if you have the power to organize things, to make from many dispersed letters into one, that happens when you give meaning to it. You, have, you don't understand? You look at Chinese, Japanese characters, you're going to see a bunch of characters. The moment you understand it, you, you're not going to see many. You'll see one. You'll see a message. That was the first thing Yaakov Avinu did before he went into Gauls. Yaakov Avinu and we, because we are his grandchildren, we have the ability to, to be thrown the most sophisticated scrabble and we're going to be the winners. We know how to make this game. We know how to do it. And no one else has that ability. They didn't have that ability. So go do it. That's why Jews, especially Hasidim, our mission is to look for an environment that's not perfected and go and perfect it. Even on the simple level, go to a place where people need more Yiddishkeit and you be the light of Yiddishkeit in that location. That is that is the, the mission of a Yid. It doesn't address your needs. It does not. But you're needed. The more people have the Tachen, naturally, the more they're going to gravitate towards such a way of thinking in every little thing in life. Will I go to where my needs are being met or will I be going to where I'm needed? Right? When there's chaos amongst the children and if your children are healthy and alive, there's always going to be chaos. So what's your natural inclination? Well, your needs is to get out of there, to run away somewhere. But you're needed. So where do you go? People that are focused on their needs, which is natural, it's not godly, they're going to need to have a much bigger balance. What about my needs? People with betachen, that's the final point. People that have betachen, the more you're you're worrying so little that you can afford to begin worrying about what's going on over there. What am I needed for? What do they need me for? You're not using up all of your worrying muscle for you because you really feel that God got me. And that will trickle down in, in all of the little decisions that we're making the whole time. Like many people are constantly just trying to preserve self. That's the whole life. Where can I find more peace? Where can I find more quiet? Where can I run away from responsibility? Because I can't take it anymore. I just want some peace and quiet. And, and you know something? If you need the peace and quiet, then you take a need it. People with bitachin, they don't have that need as much as others do. They take it, don't have it. We speak about inner, they don't feel that needy. Because God, God, God's got me. I'm good. I'm covered. So now it's boring. So what am I doing? So it, naturally, so what am I doing? I'm needed for something. If not, why would I be here? And people become, like you said, more outgoing in a, in a good way. People have a much richer life. All of this begins with the inner concept of Vitachim. These are good words also to share with our children. And we're not tzaddikim yet. No one's to tell a person that you should not be concerned at all for your needs. That's a nice ideal for an adult. No, but to be aware that you're needed and you're needed for the famous story with the Alter Rebbe that he had a chassid who, who, who was wealthy. And again, all about these stories, whether it happened or not with wealth. And he lost his wealth and he was indebted and he made commitments to his son-in-laws that he's going to support them and he couldn't do that. 
and, and he came to the Rebbe and he cried, Rebbe, I need this and I need that and I need the other. And he was expecting to hear compassionate words of the Alter Rebbe, Abraham. And the Alter Rebbe, after hearing his whole, all of his needs, the Alter Rebbe says, you, you have such clarity as to what you need, but not one word for what you're needed for. And he fainted. And that was the, his salvation. That's how the story goes. So he spent a few weeks in Lubavitch to be re-inspired, not to forever ignore his needs, no, but to balance his needs with, let me spend some of my life thinking about what I'm needed for. And it's amazing. And the more you get into that, then the more God, God covers your needs because we, only, we, we can only handle that much. So it's almost like there's a certain amount of I don't know, anguish, but but work that we have to undergo, and circumstances bring about these challenges. I get to choose my circumstances. Will it be about my getting my needs? Am I going to worry about my parnasa, or am I going to worry about your parnasa? And even that really genuinely worry about the other person, God will God will cover them easier with less ishtagos. So it's not that this person is not going to have a challenge, but it's a whole different set of challenges. And there's so much more meaning in that life. And the world benefits so much more from such a life. And part of that, the world is the person proper. And that only can happen if a person, be'emis, relies on God. can't fake it. How do we get there? Beginning by speaking about it, by understanding that. The way a child is not nervous because the baby, the infant, the one week old knows that the mom is going to give it milk. This is the way we are able to feel when it comes to God. Imagine. God has me. God, God, Hashem has me. Amboiteach Bashem. That's a big madrega and it's beautiful and we have to, we have to get there. And we're going to get there. So that concludes chapter five. Thank you. Thank you.